May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This week marked the sixth anniversary of the April 2011 tornado outbreaks in our state. Back then, I was living in Tuscaloosa. I would be ordained a little less than six months later. I had my own law practice, had a wonderful community of friends, a great house, a wonderful church that I was very much part of that included parishioners not just from the university but from around the community and a great group of students that lived there on campus. That day, April 27th, started off with bad storms and I woke up and turned on the news and saw that a tree had come down on the church. But I called and nobody was hurt and the church wasn't damaged that badly and the clouds cleared away and the weather was beautiful and I went to work. I had to go to court that morning but when I got to the courthouse on Greensboro the power was still out and they wouldn't let us into the building because the elevators weren't working, the security wasn't working and so there was a whole big group of us kind of standing outside milling around for a while. Some of the court staff that was inside would open the windows and would give us an update on when they thought the power might be on. And we, I remember distinctly, stood there and talked about how beautiful that morning was. Blue skies like you only see in early spring, but it was very, very warm. The day went relatively normal, except people were talking about what the weatherman was saying and what was going to happen that afternoon, and things began to close early, and I went back to the chapel and told the students, you know, if this does get to be bad weather, I'm going to unlock the sacristy, this, this room that's in the innermost part of the church where we kept all the things for communion and that had no windows. I said, I'm going to unlock this, and if the weather gets bad, that's where I want you to go. And I went home and expected that I was probably going to have a really nice, quiet afternoon at home because none of this ever really happened. But by the end of that afternoon, I had watched a tornado on the TV go through downtown Coleman. And then as the sirens started going off and the radio started saying that a tornado was coming to Tuscaloosa, all I could do was grab my phone and text the students and say, this is for real. You need to go where I told you to go. I got into a closet with my three dogs and a weather radio and listened as they described what they thought was the path of the tornado coming up through town possibly hitting the university, which meant a very good chance that it had hit my church, maybe hitting the hospital and continuing on. That is a time in my life that I point to that I know I prayed like no other time before. And then everything was quiet. The sirens stopped. 
My TV suddenly came back on once the power came on, and I picked up my phone again and sent a text to the kids, and I said, is everybody all right? And the text I got back was, well, we are alive. And so I got in my car, and I drove into town, not knowing what I was going to find. The sun had already gone down. None of the street lights were working. I did see the lights of the hospital as I came over the bridge into Tuscaloosa and felt relief at that. I made it to my church, and people had already begun to gather. I spent that evening at the hospital with a parishioner, and when I walked out, it was the darkest I had ever seen Tuscaloosa. And I could see people walking up from this neighborhood that we call Alberta City, and I knew that they were folks at the church who had lost their homes, but I had no idea of what had happened. It wasn't until that next morning when I got up to drive back into town to go look for two church members that we couldn't get on the phone that we knew lived where the tornado had gone that I really saw what had happened. I drove as far into town as I could and then I had to park my car and get out and walk into the neighborhoods. And the landscape was so changed that I had to take my GPS from my car because the street signs were down and the big oak trees that you knew, that's where you took the left turn to get to Paul's house, were gone. And I walked and I walked that day and I found both of them safe but not unshaken. The next few days and weeks are really a blur. The city had suffered such tremendous damage. There were so many people in shelters so many people had died, and in those days, every conversation you had somehow drifted to where you were when it happened, who you knew that had lost their home, who you knew that had been hurt, who you knew that had been killed. Every conversation centered on where were you that day that the whole world turned upside down. I imagine the feelings that we had in those days after the tornado is at least a fraction of the feelings that Jesus' disciples feel, felt at the time, standing there on that first Easter. Everything that they knew and believed in, their certainty, their safety, their hope, had seemed to be destroyed. And then on Easter morning, to find an empty tomb did nothing to make sense of the violence and loss that they had experienced. And our gospel this morning takes us into the midst of one of those conversations that I think was very much like the conversations we had after the tornado, where you just are walking and talking about where you were when this happened, what did you know, who have you lost? And we find Cleopas and another disciple on the road to Emmaus. We know that they have heard the women's tale of the empty tomb. They have heard that Peter has gone and confirmed what the women have said. But still, they are on their way out of Jerusalem, out of destruction and confusion. And they are telling the story of where they were what they knew when the world got turned upside down. 
Now into this moment of confusion and fear, Jesus comes along beside them, but they don't recognize him. They're too lost in the conversation of the when, the what, the how to understand the why. And Jesus asks the most basic question, what are you talking about with each other? The gospel gives us a great description of their reaction, right? The gospel tells us that they stood still, they stopped walking, and they looked sad. And then Cleopas says to to this man that he doesn't know is Jesus, how are you the only one that doesn't know what happened? How are you the only one that doesn't know that Jesus, the great prophet who did all these mighty things, was betrayed and crucified and that now his body is gone and even though there were angels, we just don't know what's going on? Jesus' response in that moment is probably not what anybody would want to hear because Jesus looks at them and says, Oh, how foolish you are. I don't think Jesus is being mean in this moment. And we, as the reader of the gospel, get to know that they are being foolish because we know that the man that they are walking and talking with is Jesus. Cleopas and his friend have all the facts of what happened, but they don't have the meaning behind it. And there, standing in front of them on that road to Emmaus, is the risen Jesus. There, right there in front of them, is what they need to understand, and they just can't see it. But Jesus doesn't leave them. He walks on with them. And he begins to give them the story of the why that would help them make sense of the what happened. He starts with Moses and all the prophets and goes through the story of salvation and scriptures and he tells them the story of a God that loves us so much that throughout history he has come to us again and again to offer salvation. And just when it looks like Jesus is about to leave him, they say, wait, don't go. The day is almost done. Come in with us. Eat with us. And in that moment of Jesus taking bread and blessing it and breaking it and giving it, suddenly they realize who has been with them all this time. And in that moment of community, they realize how their hearts were burning as he opened the scriptures to them. And in that moment, they were able to understand the rest of the story that Jesus didn't tell them but showed them. The rest of that story is that God loved us so much that God became one of us and ate with us and laughed with us and died for us. And that God has now risen for us from the grave and is with us now. The response of Cleopas and his friend is similar to what we've seen in some of the other resurrection stories. Once they understand what has happened, once they know the why, they leave immediately and return to the disciples. And there they begin to share stories about what Simon Peter has seen and what they saw on the road to Emmaus. This post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, I think, tells us a lot about the realities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus today. 
We live in a time of already, but not yet. We believe that the kingdom of God is breaking into the world, but the fullness of that kingdom is not quite here. In a sense, we are like Cleopas and his friend, always on the road to Emmaus, trapped between what we hoped for, what we now can understand, and what we will soon come to learn. Our lives can be turned upside down, and sometimes we are just left there discussing what happened and looking for the why. One of the first things I learned in tornado disaster response is that you need to listen to the people affected by what has happened. You need to listen to the questions. You need to listen to them tell you where they were. You need to listen to them ask, why did God let this happen? Our faith in God and in the risen Jesus tells us that death is no more. But we know that that isn't quite all the story. We know that the reality is is that tornadoes do come, that we will die, but we hope and are certain that we will be reborn again into new life. We walk along the journey of our lives discussing what happened yesterday and trying to put the pieces together from the Gospels and searching for meaning in the Scriptures and searching for meaning in what's going on in the world today. And we need to share our stories together in community. We also need to be willing to allow the stranger to come along with us and to listen to us and us to listen to them. Because in that there is healing. Jesus does that for the disciples. He doesn't come up and say, I am Jesus, listen to me. He begins the conversation with, tell me what you are talking about. He sees their sadness and listens to their story. And then, only after they have been heard, does he begin to give them the story that would help them make sense of everything. Only when the disciples invited him in, when they came together in a familiar scene of shared prayers and shared bread, did everything make sense. The scriptures, the journey with Jesus, Jesus' arrest, crucifixion, the empty tomb. In that moment, in the vision of the risen Lord, they understood. I officiated a wedding recently. And in my sermon, when I was addressing the couple, who were two very dear friends of mine, I told them that they should remember that love isn't everything, but that it is enough. I got some curious looks that I had said that, but what I meant was that there's a lot that goes into making a lasting marriage. Conversations, fights, disappointments, compromise, joy, sacrifice. Love isn't everything in a marriage, but it is enough to sustain them as long as they were committed to the work of the journey. In our lives as Christians, we are sent out into the world to proclaim the good news. But we need to know that we proclaim it in a world where destruction and death happen. 
And we need to know that the good news we proclaim, that maybe resurrection isn't everything, but it's enough. Death and pain do exist. Resurrection doesn't just paint over and erase that, but a life of faith is one where we bring all of that. Pain, loss, confusion, doubt, joy, love, friendship, everything together. The resurrected Jesus doesn't dismiss our pain, but instead asks us to name it and then to keep walking with him. To truly proclaim resurrection, we also have to proclaim transformation. Jesus meets us where we are on the road, but he doesn't just leave us where he found us. He wants us to offer our lives up for transformation now, not waiting for transformation after death. So on this third Sunday of Easter, we continue our journey on the road. And we must be willing to share our story, to continue to study the scriptures, to walk and listen with strangers, to be brave and invite people into our lives and into our church. The road to Emmaus tells us resurrection isn't everything, but it is enough. It is enough to start the transformation of ourselves and of our world. It is enough to turn stories shared and written down for thousands of years into the story of salvation through grace offered by a loving God through God's self, Jesus Christ. Resurrection is enough to continue to offer transformation and understanding in our lives through the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. Resurrection is enough to transform simple words into prayers, to transform bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus, to transform water into new birth. Resurrection was enough to take a group of scared and doubting disciples and transform them into the church. And resurrection is enough That we today, no matter where we are on our road with our pain, our joy, our doubt, are transformed into the sons and daughters of the living God. Amen. Amen.